Hey everyone, welcome back to another season of Data Driven Health Radio. I'm your host, Dave Korsunsky. On this show, we dive deep into how you can use data to measure, manage, and optimize your health with the latest science and technology. This show is brought to you by Heads Up, which is our web and mobile app designed for individuals and healthcare professionals who need a precise way to measure and manage health data. Check us out at headsuphealth.com. If you've got comments, questions, or feedback on this show, shoot us an email, support at headsuphealth.com. We'd love to hear from you. And with that said, let's get into our next exciting episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Data Driven Health Radio. I'm your host, Dave Korsunsky. Today, my guest is Sachin Patel, who is the founder and CEO of the Living Proof Institute and also the Perfect Practice Mentorship Program. Sachin has been a friend of Heads Up for quite some time now. He and I have known each other for quite some time now. I had the good pleasure of meeting Sachin in his home recently in Toronto on a recent business trip. So we were able to finally shake hands, meet face-to-face, and uh, sit down over uh, a nice cup of uh, Sachin's custom-made coffee, which we may or may not get into later. But uh, Sachin, welcome to Data-Driven Health Radio. You and I have sketched out a really exciting agenda here, so I'm excited to nerd out with you on all things related to health bioinformatics. So welcome to the show, my friend. David, thank you, my friend. And it's so great to see your lovely smile. I appreciate this opportunity. You've definitely got a cooler Zoom background than I do. So I have a little bit of Zoom background envy right now with um, your geometry, sacred geometry behind you and uh, the solar system and the stars. It's incredible. But um, I'm going to try to set that aside and stay focused on the discussion here. So um, before we dive in, Sachin, we have a really exciting conversation here about using wearable technology inside of a practice. And this is new for a lot of people. There's a lot of patients using the technology. I don't think a lot of practices and practitioners have really cracked the nut on how to bring this into the practice and use this for rapid feedback, personalizing programs, and just making it part of the feedback loop. I think that's where I want to see more of the industry moving because I see so much promise in this technology, but you've done a really, really incredible job here. And that's really where I want to focus for the show today. But before we dive in, I'd love it if you could just give us a background on yourself for the listeners here today, mainly how you got into the field of health and wellness, what your journey looked like to get you to this point in time. And if you could also comment on what you do at Living Proof and Perfect Practice And then let's dive into the topic at hand, which is using wearable technology in the practice setting. Sure. Well, thank you for asking. So first and foremost, I'm trained as a chiropractor, started off in a sports injuries, soft tissue, repetitive strain injury type of clinic. Two years in, landed on the news, resulted in over 50 people calling our practice, and none of them had soft tissue injuries. They all had chronic debilitating health issues, which then led me down the functional medicine rabbit hole. Truth be told, Mm -hmm. that changed my life, improved my health dramatically, and I have never looked back ever since that. And then fast forward a few years, I started my own clinic called the Living Proof Institute in Cincinnati, Ohio, where we were helping people get to the root cause using functional medicine, lifestyle medicine, and mindset as a tool for them to heal. And then moved back to Toronto, where my wife and I are now located. 
and started another clinic here where we continued the same path. And that led to my colleagues noticing and paying attention to, hey, I love what your messaging is. I love what you're up to. I'd love to know how you built these two practices, which then led us down the coaching pathway. And so now not only do we see clients in our virtual clinic, we also work with practitioners to help them build using the same frameworks that we've created their perfect practices. And so now I get to have great conversations like this. I get to innovate using technology and software that Heads of Health has created. And we get to help people live their best life. And we get to kind of, instead of complaining about healthcare, we've kind of reinvented the way healthcare is delivered. And we get to train hundreds of practitioners on how to do just that. So the goal is to create a movement, to create and deploy an army of practitioners who are out there making the world a better place and using technology in a responsible way to improve and enhance their clinical outcomes. That's awesome. So uh, after your own successful ventures then in uh, Cincinnati and then subsequently in Toronto, it sounds like people started reaching out to you, asking you to essentially help them build a, a model or framework for their practice off of what you've described. And, and like any good businessman, you said that's something repeatable and scalable mm-hmm. that I would love to do. So you're out on the forefront training practitioners on the cutting edge of, of health and wellness. And we're going to talk about some of the ways you do that here in a moment. You also mentioned something that resonated with me, which was how your own personal health changed with functional medicine. And I had the exact same experience when I was working on my own health and I was engaged with a conventional medicine doctor who was able to run some routine blood work on me and was not necessarily adept at identifying what the actual underlying causes were. In fact, they were adamant there were none. And it wasn't until I started working with a functional doctor where I was able to start identifying the root causes of some of those issues. And my personal health changed. It's been a journey of many, many years. My functional health journey started back in 2012, 2013, where I first started moving off of a Western diet, started learning how to eat off of more of what would be called a paleo template, started even figuring out how to get bread out of my diet. You know, I was raised in small town Winnipeg, as you know. And the bread was normal. And then as soon as I stopped eating bread, all of my digestive symptoms went away. Surprise. Hmm. And then it became, okay, what else can I try here? And I started going down the rabbit hole much like you did. And it's been transformational for my own health. Is there anything you can share on, on how your personal health changed along the way and continues to evolve? Yeah, absolutely. So very similar, you know, growing up and still am a vegetarian. So being an Indian vegetarian means you're essentially a grainitarian. So lots of grains Mm -hmm. in the diet. And we really, Mm -hmm. if if we grow up eating a certain food, we have no idea how we're going to feel removing that food or that thought may not even necessarily cross our minds. So when I learned about Mm -hmm. functional medicine, the first thing that you you learn about is cutting out certain foods that are inflammatory and create issues and challenges for people. And those were gluten and dairy. Thankfully, I never really liked milk, so it wasn't a big part of my diet. However, gluten was unfortunately a big part of my diet. And even when I wouldn't eat bread, I realized gluten was found in all, you know, substitute animal proteins. So 
you know, being vegetarian, mm-hmm. I, w- I was eating a lot of the fake, you know, meats, if you will. And that's loaded sure. with not only soy, but it's also gummed together and glued together with gluten. So I realized that, you know, in hindsight, that was causing a lot of my inflammation. I used to wake up every day, stiff joints, achy joints. And I attributed that a lot of that to exercising and being a chiropractor because of the physical nature of my job. I also would wake up tired every single morning. I never knew what it was like to wake up and be a morning person. I never understood the concept of being a morning person because I would wake yeah. up tired and in pain. And who wants to feel like that? Same so I would, here. I would dread yeah. the day. And uh, in yeah. hindsight, I also had some major digestive issues that cutting out gluten, eliminating all dairy, so no yogurt, no, you know, nothing like that. That for me was massively transformational, believe it or not. Just those simple changes got rid of my inflammation, got rid of my joint aches and pains. I used to have acne on my back and that completely disappeared. Used to have the occasional breakout. That doesn't happen anymore. So skin cleared up. So lots of things improved. And I realized all along that I've always been a morning person. I just didn't like how I felt in the morning. And so once that Mm -hmm. discomfort went away, I would wake up. Now I wake up energized, ready to go, mentally ready to go. And not, you know, waking up with a sense of dread of how am I going to feel today, but waking up with a sense of what am I going to accomplish today? Not even thinking about how bad I'm going to feel because I feel great. So it's been a complete 180. It's almost hard to imagine going back to that stage in my life. You know, and once you make these changes, you you really never go back. So I've proudly been gluten-free for over a decade now. Haven't had a single piece of uh, bread or, you know, knowingly had any gluten in the last 10 years. And that's something that I can say I'm I'm super proud of. It's a non-negotiable for me because I know how it makes me feel and I don't want to feel that way. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the same way. I, I do my best work nowadays between 6 a.m. and 10 a.m., which if you'd met Dave back in, you know, when he first started working on his health, it was just not <laughs> even conceivable <laughs> at that point. So um, anyhow, we have some similar journeys there. So um, what I would really love, and thank you for sharing that, Sachin, uh, what I would love to get into here specifically is incorporating the latest cutting-edge wearable technology into a practice setting. And I think we can get even more specific. Just, I think it would be even even more beneficial if we really got specific with one device. And I know that you're using the Aura Ring in your practice. And I actually think that's a great place to start because I'm not a practitioner, but I do monitor certain loved ones of mine remotely mm-hmm. through Heads Up, much like you guys are doing. And the insights I can get from someone's aura data because I've looked at it on myself so much and have really mastered the interpretation of the data on myself. I know how to spot certain trends in that data. I know what to look for in those numbers. And some of the metrics coming off of that device are just phenomenal. So I really want to get into the heart of the discussion now, which is using the aura ring inside of a clinical practice setting. So, um, Let's just start at the top here. Maybe you could just give us a high-level overview on how you're using that device today. Maybe even let's just start at the beginning for practitioners who are listening or for individuals who are listening as well. But the first thing you have to do is get somebody the ring. And that comes with its own set of challenges because it's got to be sized. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're a practitioner listening, let's help you figure out that problem first. So how are you guys dealing with that? Yeah, great question. So. A couple of things that I want to say is where it all started. So I actually met Harpreet Rai at Genius Network at the annual event. Mm-hmm. And Joe Polish 
called us over. He's like, you guys need to meet. And we started chatting and that's where I got my first ring. And after wearing the ring for a few months, I invited Aura to come and be part of our uh, event, our in-person event a few years ago. And uh, that resulted in, you know, a culmination of, you know, dozens of practitioners ordering rings. And we started realizing the valuable information that we could achieve from having us ourselves wearing this ring, but then introducing it into our practice. They say that necessity is the mother of invention. And so being a chiropractor in Ontario, what we were up against in terms of being able to order lab testing, what we were up against in terms of being able to make certain claims or not make certain claims, we had to work against the grain and work, you know, almost swim up river to get results. So we said, you know what, how do we, without breaking the law, without breaking the rules, how do we beat the system at its own game? And instead, mm-hmm. what we decided to do is focus on vitality and health optimization because that's not a disease. So I can say I can help you feel amazing and feel vital and live longer. Those aren't diseases. So I can make claims around those particular things. So that eliminated the mm-hmm. messaging issue. Then the issue came up with blood work and lab work. So we had to, I could, you know, I have this gift of being able to see in the future. And I realized that at some point, the boards would come after practitioners who were ordering lab testing because that's just mm-hmm. easy for them to do. They could just target these practitioners, take that away from them. And that's what they did. They were doing it to medical doctors. They were doing it to uh, other practitioners. So I said, you know what, how do we create a program that doesn't use testing and focus on testing, but still gets results for clients in other ways that we can measure. And in fact, in my opinion, in more meaningful ways and allow us to have a short feedback loop as well. So even if you order lab testing, it might be 90 days between test number one and test number two. And you don't know what happened between those 90 days, you know, as an average what happened, but you don't know the peaks and valleys and where the coaching points may have been. So, and there's certain things, of course, that there's no lab test for, right? There's no lab test for how you slept last night. There's no blood work for that. There's no blood work for Mm -hmm. how many breaths you took or what your HRV was or what your resting heart rate was. You know, what time you went to bed, what time you woke up, how much you moved. There's no lab testing for that. And we know that those are key factors in improving one's health. So we realized that there's an opportunity here to introduce something, a new message to the market, but there's also an opportunity to introduce a new way of approaching health that essentially decentralizes the thinking process and democratizes access to information for people so that they become their own best doctor. And that's always been our mission at Living Proof. We believe that the doctor of the future is is the patient. And in order for them to be able to doctor themselves, they need to have data. And that data is where the ring comes in because it helps them assess what they need to do. So we started a few years ago doing a lifestyle-driven program and we compared patients going through a lifestyle-driven program and patients going through a traditional functional medicine program where we test you, wait for the lab results to come back, put you on a supplement protocol. And what we realized is that the people who were put on a lifestyle design program were actually getting amazing results three to six weeks in, getting off their meds, getting off their blood pressure medications, diabetes medications, losing 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 pounds uh, in six weeks. We've had clients lose and basically transforming their health while we're still waiting for people to poop in a cup. And not that there is anything wrong with that, but I know people like to see results fast. I know they like to see results that are affordable and accessible. And what we also realized is that 
if we improve through lifestyle and environment, the health of our focal client, there's a collateral benefit to their entire family. So that even further aligned with our vision and mission to create healthy homes and communities and cities and countries. And we can't wait until people get sick in order for them to then try to get healthy. How about we teach the, you know, the figurehead in the household how to get healthy, create an environment of health in the home, and then the entire family collaterally benefits. In fact, one of my clients, uh, she went through a program and she lost 27 pounds. Her husband lost 45 pounds and her daughter lost 27 pounds just passively following the recommendations, not even part of the program. So it was amazing to see the collateral benefit that takes place for people. And then we wanted to document it. So we wanted to, because the results sound almost unbelievable. And it's one thing for people to lose weight. We don't want skinnier versions of people. That's nice. I mean, that's great when we're looking in the mirror and we're on the beach and stuff like that. But that's not really what people want either. They want better versions of themselves. And the better version of themselves means they might weigh a little bit less and have less inflammation and such. But we wanted to know, are we doing something to improve the function of every cell system and tissue and organ in your body? Because that's all we want to do. If we're not doing that, then I don't want anything to do with this. And so what we identified was a marker that gives us an overall picture of how healthy somebody is. So if we had to correlate this one marker, we could correlate it to bone health, muscle health, brain health, uh, immune system function, digestive function. We could correlate it to every single system in the body and that marker is HRV. So then the quest became, how do we track people's HRV? One way to track it and train it is using heart math, but heart math is not a passive activity. It's something that you actively have to engage in. And so then exactly. the next uh, so the next best thing was an aura ring. And initially we would give our clients heart maths because we understand the value of HRV and training resilience into the body, but the uptake was not that high. And so yeah. the aura ring posed a bit of an obstacle, as you mentioned, with the ring size. And so because of my inside connection uh, with them, I was able to connect with uh, their team and they now send us the sizing kits. So what we do is we get the sizing kits ordered to our place, you know, 50 to 100 at a time. And then every new client that signs up, we include the sizing kit in their welcome package. And then inside, inside the package, there's a QR code that they scan, which we glue in there. And that takes them to a specific link that they go to where they enter their ring size and information. And then we ship out the kit to them. So it is a two-step process for us, but we've tried to streamline that functionality as much as we can. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So I want to just unpack a few things that you mentioned there because you you hit on some gems. And I really just want to double-click on a few of them that were incredibly powerful. So I just want to make sure that listeners get hold of that. The first one is the limitations of working within the system in your country of practice. And my sister is a naturopathic doctor in Winnipeg, and she can't order labs for people either. Even something as critical as a vitamin D test for someone is very difficult to obtain in many cases. That's not necessarily the case here in the U.S. You can order your own labs from hundreds of different sites. But what you said was, how do we work within the framework of the system here? And ordering labs can be very challenging. It can be very costly. 
In many cases, they may not even be accessible, the labs that you would want to run. And the other point you made there was the feedback loop. It's you get the test data. Okay, great. Assuming you can get the test data. And maybe you're testing again every 90 days or every 180 days. The feedback loop is incredibly long in that scenario. And when we were chatting before we got on the cord here, I loved your analogy of the GPS. And you said, how would you feel if, if your GPS on your way to your destination only updated 90, every 90 days? Or maybe every 30 minutes, if you're on a long road trip, you'd quickly get lost and you'd, you'd constantly be course correcting. That's such a beautiful analogy for why you'd want to use a wearable inside mm-hmm. of a clinical practice, Aura in this case, because it's immediate biofeedback, immediate course correction. So um, I think it's important to just highlight how you've been able to use that for working within the limitations of the system, first of all, finding something that could give you the immediate biofeedback. And then the other one was finding the one metric that could be accurately quantified, first of all, completely passively, without the person having to do anything Mm-hmm. except follow your instructions and, and put a ring on every night. And then the other one I loved was what happens to the rest of the household once the person that you're working with starts to feel better and sleep better and lower their, their stress levels and the inflammation. They are now bringing a better version of themselves to the household. And then everyone else in the household starts to get upgraded as the domino effect. So just some really, really incredible uh, wisdom in there that I wanted to just call out. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. And then the other part that I think is really interesting for practitioners listening is is how you've addressed the logistics of working with the ring. And I think that keeping the sizing kits on hand is brilliant for you guys. Because whenever you're working with individuals, whether they're healthy people looking to improve, presumably because they're a high performer, of some kind where time is precious or they're on the uh, other end where they're, they're dealing with a health issue and maybe uh, struggling cognitively with a lot of things. So if you're stocking the sizing kits yourself and those are going out right when the, when the patient signs up or the client signs, you now completely eliminated that first step of like, okay, I've got to go to order ring. I got to order this sizing kit. It's like, I'm not sure if I'm doing it right. So you've immediately moved moved one friction point there. Then you've taken it a step further with the QR code where you just scan it. It takes them right to the website they need to go to. So like any good business, you're looking at how do I remove friction points for my clients along the way. And when you're using wearable technology or medical device technology like the glucometer in the practice, one of the hardest things is how do I actually get my patients to the point where the data is flowing? Right. It sounds simple. But it's not. <laughs> so, like anything you can do to make that part smoother, and you can imagine we deal with that challenge all the time, whether it's a you know or a ring or a CGM or whatever. So, getting those friction points smoothed out by keeping the sizing kits in stock that just makes a ton of sense to me. I love it. So, um, let's get to the meat and potatoes here, Sachin. Let's start looking at some of the metrics available from Aura, and actually. I'd like to just touch on something else before we do that. And what I'd like, if you could share, Sachin, is how you are incorporating the health coach into this. Because one of the other challenges, first of all, there's the challenge of getting the devices, getting devices connected, getting the data flowing back to you. That's a hurdle right there. 
The other hurdle is you're a busy guy, and this data needs to be monitored. It's great to have the data for the quick biofeedback, but somebody's got to be at the switch ready to analyze and interpret said data. And the absolute perfect complement to that is a health coach, because not only are they trained in engagement and behavior modification and being a patient advocate, but if they're also trained to combine that with the metrics and use that for engagement opportunities, that to me seems like the ultimate combination. And that's what we practice and recommend uh, on our side when we're bringing on new clinics. So could you talk about how you've incorporated the health coach into this? And then we'll, we'll get into some of the specific metrics. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of ways that we use our health coaches. One is our clients have the ability to do a daily check-in. They can submit a journal entry, which logs their weight, their hydration, their bowel movements, their sleep scores, or, and anything else, any other questions that they have along uh, with that. And our coach, Alice or Deepa, whoever is working with them, will then uh, engage and respond to them. And then at their follow-up meetings, if there are meetings scheduled for that month, then we will oftentimes uh, use our heads-up health reports to then share the progress that the clients have made between their previous appointment. So we can superimpose different uh, data sets. And if we're equipping them with a glucometer or a continuous glucose monitor, then we can put that data on top. If we're giving them the aura ring, then we can look at other bits of data on top of each other, like their HRV and their sleep scores and such. Uh, we focus primarily on sleep and HRV. And that's what uh, I think the aura ring does best in my opinion. So the mm -hmm. great thing is, is that we've got them putting information in, telling us the things that the ring can't tell us. And that the ring is then giving us data and information that's being drawn into heads of health that they can't tell us. So yep. the beauty of it is we have, you know, two platforms to be able to manage this information. And it's a great way for us to monitor and keep track and, and pay attention to what trends the client is presenting with. I love that. And just to feed it back, it sounds like you have some ways to have a self-report from the individual. How am I feeling? And then you can cross-reference that with the hard objective data coming from the ring. And presumably when the self-reports are looking good and those functions of the body are humming along nicely, I, I would imagine the uh, numbers from the ring coincide. And I met with your coach to check in and, and see how Alice, how she's using the system and how she prepares those progress reports to show people how they're doing. And there's nothing better than seeing right in front of your eyes immediate biofeedback on how much you're improving. So I, I just wanted to uh, highlight that because I know a lot of practices and, and practitioners who are listening are saying, hey, that's awesome. I'd love to do this, but I don't have time to be doing the day-to-day -day engagement, looking for the patterns in the data, creating the reports, doing the subjective check-ins. And so when you've got a coach that's able to do that, it just seems like a really, really effective model. People are getting those touch points every day that I'm assuming gives them a, a significant level of comfort. There's someone on the other end that I can engage with and who's listening and who cares on a daily basis, even if it's just a simple check-in. So I just want to highlight for practices listening how Sachin has incorporated the coach into this, which is... Um, I think the gold standard, in my opinion, for how to do this. 
Thank you. Well, here's a cool thing. I mean, first of all, I appreciate that. And we are constantly evolving. So if we did this interview six months from now, I'm sure we'd have, you know, an even more upgraded process. So we, I want to put that out there because, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect for you to get started. And you learn things along the way, you make improvements along the way. Every company does it, right? So, you know, iPhone just released a new update. Software companies are no different, Sachin. We do it exactly. every day. Exactly. And uh, so it gives us permission to do it as well in our practices. As long as nobody's getting harmed along the way, I think it's appropriate mm-hmm. for us to experiment and see how wearable technology fits into our practices. What's also cool is you can gamify within your community now. So if we wanted to have a sleep contest and say, hey, let's see who gets the best sleep score this week, we can now you know, get people to double down and reward them for behaviors that we want them to partake in. So that's another thing that wearable tech does. And they can't cheat. Like you can't cheat your sleep score. Maybe if, I don't know, if you put it on your husband or something, who's a better sleeper, but uh, chances are the ring wouldn't fit. But yeah, we can start gamifying as well, which I think makes things exciting for the community. I love that. We do that internally here at Heads Up. So we all are, have our, our rings connected and we have a Slack channel and we run a, we run a daily um, analysis on everyone's data and um, we have some internal competitions going and there's this every time someone gets above an 85, a you know, little attaboy comes into the Slack channel and we'll all kind of like chime in and like put some words of encouragement in there. And the competition aspect of it is really fun. If we did launch something like looking at the sleep score in the ring, for example, like you said, for a week and put some uh, incentive in there and say, by the way, here's some of the things you can do to improve your score, like uh, some meditation before bed or some binaural beats. There's a million things you could draw on there. But now you're bringing a little bit of friendly competition into the mix. So that opens up a whole nother level of engagement as well. Yeah, it's a new era in, in uh, companies, right? It used to be productivity was rewarded, now recovery is being rewarded, yeah. which is uh, as Hallelujah. We productivity. Yeah, it's about time. Yeah, yeah. So um, let's dive into some of the metrics here because there's so many good ones when you're using the ring inside of a practice. You know, there's the resting heart rate of the individual and having the baseline calculated inside of the ring. And Variations in the the resting heart rate can indicate things like late exercise, poor meal timing, impending illness. And so even I notice a difference on when I have my dinner and what my lowest resting heart rate was that night and when it bottoms out. So there's that one. There's the temperature deviation, another little gem in there where it calculates your baseline temperature and you can start to look at illness coming on potentially before symptoms have even emerged yep and when i work with my family members on my system and they may subjectively mention that they're not feeling good that's the first thing i go look at and say okay oh they're up one degree last night relative to baseline that's enough to know that i need to keep a really close eye on the number the second night right and in many cases it'll go back down to normal or it might go up even more and you've got a situation there that you can now potentially get ahead of. So um, there's the temperature deviation. There's the HRV, and we'll, we'll probably end up spending a lot of our time talking about that one here. There's the actual readiness score, which is good. I personally think the HRV, if I could only pick one out of the whole lot, it would be the HRV. There's also the respiration rate, how many times per minute breathing 
And that can also indicate impending illness, level of cardiovascular health. There's a ton of data that I'm sure you can glean yourself just from looking at that. There's the sleep score, which is really, really good as well. So um, let's pick one, Sachin, and uh, let's go for it. Why yeah. don't we just start with HRV since that's kind of like the um, the main one you use physiologically. And if you could just... Um, educate us on how you use that in your clinical setting, in your wellness program. Sure. Well, I use it the same way that we'd use it with our clinics. And the key is understanding what HRV tells us. And what we look at it as a totalitarian marker, if you will, that you can't cheat. So, you know, there's, there's, no, <laughs> cheating, there's no cheating this result because sleep, you can game that a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you could just sleep in and that'll improve your sleep score, but HRV isn't something yep. you can game. Nope. And so nope. you can't hide. Yeah, you can't hide. Exactly. So we're paying attention to trends because we want to see how somebody is handling a stressful situation. So we always want to get a glimpse of what's going on in their life and how their body is responding to that situation. So myself, for example, as we were discussing earlier, we went through a major plumbing upgrade. And you know, some people would call it a plumbing disaster. We're thinking of it as a plumbing upgrade. And throughout that entire process, our HRV didn't deviate. So you would mm -hmm. think that you know, I'd be losing sleep at night. You'd be thinking that my readiness would be destroyed, but it wasn't. And to me, that you know, is an example of how resilience can really help us under times of stress. And so we look at HRV as a measure of resilience. How resilient are you to stressful situations? And as we work with clients, we see their HRV starting to increase over time, even our practitioners. So one thing I should mention is that every practitioner that we coach also gets an aura ring as part of their program. So not only are they tracking their outcomes, but we can see, is their health moving in the right direction? Because our program, our coaching program for practitioners doesn't just promise them more money in their bank account. It's like this last thing that we promise them. The first thing we promise them is they're <laughs> going to become a better version of themselves and they're going to have better health in the process because if their health deteriorates, then I haven't done them a service. I've done them a huge disservice. So we use that as a way of measuring the success of our coaching program for practitioners as well. And what we see is we see people's HRV going up, we see their resilience going up. And HRV, in my opinion, is a good indicator of our parasympathetic tone. It's a good indicator mm -hmm. of how well we're recovering, repairing, and regenerating. And when we're in that parasympathetic state, we're healing every cell, organ, tissue, and system in the body simultaneously. And for me, that's what I would consider the, the from a clinical perspective, the holy grail. Everything works better for healing and repair in a parasympathetic state. And HRV is a way for us to, it's almost a window into the parasympathetic state, if you will. In addition to that, we look incredible. We pay very close attention to sleep because as you and I know, sleep is probably one of the most important things that we do, even though we're not doing anything. Our unconscious body is then working its magic and healing, repairing and regenerating our body. And of course, sleep is the most parasympathetic thing that we do. And so we want to make sure that if that's our most important opportunity for healing to take place, and this is the most parasympathetic you'll be out of the 24 hours, we want to make sure we're leaning in and doubling down on that. We find that most people, A, don't have the awareness without a ring. They don't know what their HRV is. They're relying on anecdotally how they feel. And that can vary from person to person. And that can also vary from how connected they are to their bodies as well. And so the sleep is a great way for us to understand, are they getting enough REM sleep? Are they getting enough deep sleep? 
Are they tossing and turning all night? And then are they going to bed on time? So there's no pills for going to bed early, right? Or staying up late at night, I should say. There's no supplement for somebody that says, hey, Sachin, I, I go to bed super late. What can I take for that? There's nothing. You have to go to sleep, right? And so we try to modify the environment that they're in. And what's cool about the Aura Ring is we can show people, you know, we can give them specific protocols and recommendations and they can see right away if it's working or not. I'll give you a good example, yeah. uh, Dave. So... One of my friends, John, he messaged me and he says, dude, my sleep sucks. What can you do for me? And I said, I can't do anything for you unless you're willing to do something for yourself. And uh, he's tried all kinds of supplements, you know, all kinds of specialists and done kinds of all kinds of things. And he's like, I've done all these things and nothing seems to work. I said, okay, well, throw all those things in the garbage and here's what I want you to do. I want you to just turn off the lights after the sun goes down. So no artificial lighting after the sun goes down and you can have candle lights, you can light a fire if you want. Or, you know, if you'd have it at home, you can get a flicker-free LED light bulb that's red. So after the sun goes down, you can use that as long as it's below the horizon. And so he's like, okay, that's it. I'm like, yep, just do that. And three days, he messages me back and he's like, holy F, my sleep scores are off the charts and I feel amazing. Thank you. How come nobody's ever told me this? And, you know, of course he probably would have been feeling better, but he had the ring to demonstrate the value of something as simple as turning off the lights. Mm-hmm. So we love sleep. We love HRV. And then the third thing as a breath coach that I also focus on is respiratory rate. So when I'm looking at my scores every morning, I'm looking at my respiratory rate to see, cause I wear a nose strip at night, a breathe right nose strip. I also wear mouth tape and I try to use like proper positioning when I sleep so that's one thing that I have a personal interest in, you know, kind of keeping track of. So those are the three things that I pay close attention to. And resting heart rate is yep. another one. Okay. So there's just a, there's a ton of great information there. But I think where I'd like to start here is thinking about the central nervous system as the focal point when you're working with an individual around their health. And that's where a lot of my focus has been lately when I think about the goal Mm -hmm. of meditation when I sit down to meditate, when I think about the goal of turning the lights down early before bed, when I think about looking at my HRV on my ring, for me, it's a recent development for me to think about influencing my central nervous system as the goal of of a therapy. And the more I can put myself in a situation where I've finished my work day for for the day, regardless of how stressful that was. And some days are going to be better than others. But no matter what happens there, I can start to relax my central nervous system as soon as possible. And I can start dimming the lights and I can start listening to music that's relaxing. I can burn candles. I can burn incense. Everything you do there is is starting to tamp down the central nervous system Mm -hmm. and start to increase the parasympathetic activity as well. And then there's other lifestyle modifications you can make, and that could be changing how you consume alcohol in the evening times, or if you use cannabis, thinking about uh, cutting back or eliminating that. Both of those things can help with sleep onset, but they don't help the central nervous system. So for me, it really comes down to thinking about how do I relax my fight or flight system to the greatest extent possible? How do I ease into a state of relaxation 
and stay there before bed and prepare. I also believe that uh, water can be a huge source of, of relaxation therapy as well. So hot tub, warm shower, swimming in a nice, uh, if you have a swimming pool that's, that's at a heated temperature, those ones are also, I think, incredibly therapeutic. Again, all working towards this goal of, of keeping our nervous system in check because we are in a hyper-stimulated society, most of us, that is 24-7 hyper-stimulated. And so what do you think about that notion of thinking about the central nervous system and relaxing our central nervous system as a large part of what we're doing here? We're talking about things like, like HIV and sleep quality and, and how we relate to others. Would you agree with that as assessment of like what's happening at the core? Yeah, I mean, to echo what you're saying, uh, we use a term called autonomic pairing. And the keys to health, so this is foundational in our program, is to pair your nervous system with the activity you're trying to accomplish. So for example, digestion is a parasympathetic activity. However, most people eat in a sympathetic state. Sleep is a parasympathetic activity, while some people will try to sleep in a sympathetic dominant state with their thoughts or their environment driving that uh, sympathetic response. Mm -hmm. So what we try to do is try to get people to understand it's okay to be in a fight or flight state if that's what your environment requires. So it's okay for you to crank up blood pressure and heart rate if you're exercising, but it's not okay if you're in that state, if you're trying to digest your meal because you're shunting blood away from where it needs to be. So my mentor, Bob Rakowski, you know, taught me this, he shared this really interesting study with me where they measured blood flow in extreme athletes. So a sprinter, for example, which is a very fight or flight state, uh, physiologically speaking, he's sending only 5% of his blood flow to his liver and kidneys when he's in that fight or flight state. Whereas at rest, he or she is sending 50% of their blood flow to their liver and kidneys. So if I want someone to detox better, the key is actually to increase blood flow and nutrients to the organ system so they can function properly and that only happens or significantly increases when they're in that parasympathetic state. So getting people more parasympathetic heals and helps restore the function of all of their organ systems. And it also restores blood flow to those organ systems. And that's something that is, is very, very often overlooked. And when we get people parasympathetic and pair their nervous system correctly with the task that they're trying to accomplish, everything works better, right? Your digestive system works better exponentially better when you're parasympathetic. So instead of changing your diet, how about you just slow down and chew your meal and enjoy it and be grateful for it and you know not rush through it and make it an inconvenience. You know, in our culture and in, in our western culture, we view food as an inconvenience. And so it's it's kind of sad because it's actually something that we should be parasympathetic. And this is why I I believe that many cultures sleep after lunch. So our digestive system is strongest in the midday. So not necessarily at 12 noon, but midday when the sun's in its highest position, that's when you should have your biggest meal. And then the most parasympathetic thing you can do after that is go to sleep and digest that meal. So I've always been curious about that. Now I know at bedtime, we don't want to eat too close to uh, going to bed, but in the, in the afternoon, it's one of the reasons it makes sense for us to perhaps even take a nap instead of going to exercise right after we eat, which is what a lot of people will do. Yeah, that meal timing. I mean, I've just learned subjectively from calibration, honestly, with the ring, that I need to pull back meal time. For me, I've just kind of 
through trial and error kind of landed on like, okay, I want to have my biggest meal around 3 p.m. That just seems to work great for me. And then I may graze a little bit in the evening, but I'm going to bed empty stomach. That's going to give me really, really nice resting heart rate. And I won't be digesting. So I've, I agree with you. I hadn't really connected it back, like you said, to perhaps why other cultures have already figured this out a long time ago. And we're kind of like rediscovering this. But getting back to HRV section, let's talk specifically for, for those listening now about how to actually look at the numbers. Because we've talked about the uh, theory behind it here with autonomic pairing and working on fight or flight. Let's take an example of a client who has got an HRV baseline on the Aura. Let's just say they've worn it for a week and they're at 25 milliseconds as the average on the ring. And that would be maybe in the uh, lower part of the spectrum of, of values. So you look at this individual, you've got seven or 14 days of data, you see they're in the 20s, for example. And with HRV, for those who are not familiar with it, it's a little nuanced, but generally speaking, if we engage in health-promoting behaviors, we're going to start to see a healthy increase in said number. There's edge cases where that's not always true, where an increase could actually be as a result of an unhealthy stressor on the system. But let's take a person who may have, for example, some lingering autoimmune or a high-stress environment. They're at 25 milliseconds. You can now see that, and you've seen enough data on lots of people to know that, okay, I want to get this person numbers increasing. So what are you looking for then as the numbers are you looking, you're obviously putting, engaging in a protocol and then looking to see numbers going up week to week, month to month. So let's just use that example of the person at 25 and what we would expect to see in the numbers, what you're specifically looking to see there. And hopefully that can, um, and the other thing you mentioned just which uh, is relevant here is making sure all the practitioners you train have the device themselves. Because if you are not looking at this every day yourself and learning these numbers on yourself, it's extremely difficult to interpret this data on people. So um, I think that's important. And I think it's really fantastic that all of the uh, practitioners get the ring as well. So um, if you're a practitioner listening, making sure you have one and you've mastered the interpretation of this data is absolutely essential. But let's take the example of the person at 25. And like, where would you start with that person? And tell us about how you look at the numbers and expect to see those improve. And we can riff on that for a little bit. Yeah. So a big thing with HRV we find is food choices meal timing, Mm -hmm. as you mentioned as well, and of course, stress. And stress a lot of times, of course, there's varying degrees of stress, but there's also varying degrees of how we interpret stress. And that's something that we work on with our clients because we can't always immediately remove the stressor if it's work or if it's, you know, this pandemic or whatever is going on in the world around them. We can't change those things, but we can change how they respond to those things. And a lot of times we might find that if somebody's HRV is not responsive, that there's probably some sort of malware in their unconscious nervous system and their unconscious Mm -hmm. body, if you will. And a lot of times that's where we'll start exploring trauma to see if there's something that's stuck that's keeping them in this sympathetic state and not allowing them to, although their body and their physical health is improving, there's something that we need to work on that might be more a software issue or a mindset issue or trauma issue that needs to be worked through. Generally speaking, we don't compare people's HRVs to each other. So 
it wouldn't be a fair comparison for me to compare mine to yours. However, sure. we, can, we can look at trends. So the key with our clients is we want to see them trending in the right direction. And then if they're not trending in the right direction and they're doing you know, supposedly all the right things, then we would start troubleshooting to figure out, okay, where is this coming from? Are you eating something that is not agreeing with your body? Is your meal timing not agreeing with your body? What's your lighting environment like? What's going on in your, in your personal life? How are you dealing with it? How are you interpreting it? Let's go back a few years or many decades to see if there's something that we need to untangle there. And we can use breath work to get to those altered states of consciousness or where appropriate, even plant medicines can help people untangle some of that stuff. So that's what we would do is we would really start troubleshooting and looking at it from a multidimensional perspective in the sense that we're not just going to say, hey, take this pill or eliminate this one thing. It's usually going to be multifactorial because there's many things that pour into that HRV bucket that come up with that or produce that resulting number, right? It's never just one thing. Yeah, you hit a really important point there, which is there's really, uh, you got to look at both sides of the coin when you're looking at improving someone's uh, heart rate variability. There's the things that are easily modifiable in our day-to-day life, our environment, lighting before bedtime, the ambient temperature of the bedroom, the meal timing, the meal choices. You know, these are all things we can tune in on the lifestyle equation of things. And those will have an, an impact for sure if they're followed through on. But then when you want to go to the next level, the next layer, if you will, you start to look at other things in the software that you described, psycho-spiritual. Are there stressors in the person's relations with other people and in the relations with themselves, quite honestly? Those are a little harder to work on. We can't just change the room temperature there. That's kind of now now we're getting to the root of the issue. And um, we're in a sweat lodge. Yeah, exactly. Well, hey, the good news is that there's a lot of new therapies coming online that can help with that. And and you and I are both uh, big believers in the abilities of um, psycho-spiritual medicines coming online to help with that kind of stuff. I'm incredibly excited about how that can start to address mental health issues, trauma issues, PTSD, and in general, just fulfilling our human potential. So um, all of these things really are getting at the core nucleus of this number, this heart rate variability meta number that we can use. And so just to sum it up, you're looking for continuous positive improvement on that number relative to baseline for said individual. And there's different ways to attack that. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. And and in fact, uh, since we're talking about uh, plant medicines, one of the most profound shifts that I've ever seen on somebody was after a psilocybin ceremony where their HRV actually jumped 20 points. And in this case, at that time, this was about 30% improvement in their HRV score and it stayed high. It wasn't just a transient uh, increase. And that's how we know that when we start getting rid of old trauma, start getting rid of things that we're holding on to that are gumming up our software, it unleashes a new potential that we can achieve. And I'll just say from my own personal experience, when I wake up in the morning and my HRV numbers are off the charts, you know, for me, that's in the 50s when I see it in the 50s. I mean, there is nothing you can put in front of me on that day that I'm not going to hit out of the park whether it's going to the gym or managing the grind of the calendar or that it's like you are physiologically a hundred times stronger when that number starts getting into these optimal ranges. You know, and when I wake up and I see that, I'm like, okay, let's go. 
I'm going to destroy this day in front of me. And so that's how I use some of the feedback as well. And on other days where it's lower, for example, you know, I, I had a late meal, I had a couple drinks, I stayed out late with some friends, you know, I maybe overtrained a little bit and I'll calibrate back a little bit on my expectations of myself mm-hmm. on that particular day, maybe be a little gentler with myself on that specific day, maybe skip the gym or modify and just go for a long walk instead of going for an intense workout because you can push yourself too hard in many, many cases as well. So there's an ability to avoid overtraining, over burnout by knowing, okay, here's the days where I can double down and, you know, just go into full beast mode. And here's the days where I need to um, maybe uh, roll back my expectations a little bit and, and be gentler with myself. But Man, when you learn how to optimize and use that number properly, that's how I use it. And in, in, you know, I'm much like you running a company here. And it really helps me understand how I'm managing myself, first mm-hmm. of all. I know when, I'm, I, when I got to check myself, I'm like, hey, you got to pair back. You're pushing yourself too hard. You're not respecting your body right now. And I can see it. So um, it helps us calibrate ourselves as well. So anyhow, that's just how personally... I, I use it. It's just knowing when I can go in 120% on a given day. Would you say that you observe the same, the way you approach a day based on that number? Yeah, it's what, it's one of the first things I check in the morning is how well I slept, what my readiness score is, you know, how'd I do? One of the things that I pay very close attention to is, again, my respiratory rate, my HRV, my resting heart rate. And then look at how long mm-hmm. it took me to get in and sink into that resting heart rate. So I yep. do, I, I re kind of adjust and calibrate my day accordingly. And, you know, of course, I'm sure you're pretty in tune with your body. So some days you just wake up and you know how you feel. Like this morning, for mm-hmm. example, I was up until about 11 o'clock last night doing a, a repair in my basement, putting some flooring in because I have some people coming over today. And I would not have been able to go to sleep last night until I finished that. So going to bed yep. early was not optional for me. Because I'd just be up all night thinking about it. And I was envisioning myself waking up and walking on that newly laid down floor as part of my vision when I went to bed last night. So that affected the numbers on my ring. However, I woke up excited because I was excited to go downstairs and walk on the floor. So sometimes our body is going to tell us one thing, but the grand ruler of our life is our mind. Our mind can always tell us something else. So I do give myself permission to override when it's appropriate, but uh, I know I, I shouldn't be pushing myself physically, but that doesn't mean that I, I should feel bad about how today is going to go. And, and not that you're saying that, but I know some people, they look at their score and they're like, they get depressed, right? And this, sure. is, this is just how you slept. It doesn't determine how you choose to feel about today. That's ultimately uh-huh. and always up to us. I love it. Well, I think we've really kind of, dialed in on this one meta number here and how you and I can, I think we've, we've covered a lot on how we can move the needle on this number, such and as we started to wind down here, maybe you could share a little bit on how your clients feel when they start engaging with this technology and when they have someone on the other end who's coaching them with this extremely rapid biofeedback, that's probably not something that an individual has ever experienced before in a care setting where they have someone who's giving them instant 
file feedback, instant course correction, instant personalization. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's really the key of all of this in the wellness and in the clinical setting. So how do patients respond when they start engaged this way? Yeah, it's a great question. So one thing I, I will say is that certain people like to get measured and certain people don't. So in fact, when we tell people that this is something that we offer, it serves as a filtration process. It serves mm-hmm. as a ability for us to know who's the right fit and who isn't for what we're going to do. Because we're so confident that what we do works, that we're going to measure it. And now all I need to know is that you're going to be compliant, right? So the excuse makers, the B players, they're not interested in that. The B players don't like reporting. They don't like to be measured. They don't like to be called out. It's the A players that do. The A players want to know their numbers. They want to know how they can do better. They want to know how they can not overachieve because that's not, it's not about overachievement. It's really about achieving your potential. And most of us are so below what that potential is, including myself. I see tons of room for myself to improve. And I think that's a, that's a good mindset to have in general, but the A players love it. And the B players, it's like a mosquito repellent for the B players. They want nothing to do with it. They want nothing to do with our programs because they know how serious and how committed we are and how confident we are that what we do works And this is not a place where you come and point fingers and make excuses. This is a place where you come to heal. And you're not going to be able to show up and coast. You know, the other thing I like about using um, wearable and and biometric data in the clinical setting is the accountability on both sides. Mm -hmm. Because not only is the individual accountable, and okay, maybe they don't wear it a certain night because they're like, I don't want to share this, whatever, it's fine. But in general, they're wearing it because they know that there'll be some accountability from them. And especially when we're working in the integrative space, accountability is a big part of it because a lot of the care relies on, a lot of the outcome relies on the individual doing what they're being asked to do. And this provides accountability that they are meeting their end of the bargain. And on the flip side, it provides accountability for the practitioner and the patient or the client can say, your program, I have the data now to know that the programs and the products I'm paying for are working as advertised. Mm-hmm. So there's ways for the individual now to hold the uh, accountability on the other side Absolutely. as well. So it democratizes it for both parties. And um, I think that is going to freak some people out. And like you said, there's people that don't want that at all. And that's cool. Not the right program for you. There's maybe other programs where you don't have to show up that way. Or maybe they may just not be ready as, a, as where they're at in their own individual life. Maybe they haven't done the level of work required. We can have empathy for that. But like, okay, when you're ready, come talk to us. But when you are ready, this is how we roll. <laughs> so um, I love it. There's accountability on both sides, actually. Yeah. And here's the other thing I'll mention that I think is really valuable for practitioners who are listening to this to know. This validates your process. And so if I can dig into somebody's data and I can show that these people are getting healthier, then it gives me more confidence as a clinician to know that what I'm doing is working. And it Mm -hmm. also increases the valuation of your company. Not that everyone listening to this is looking for an exit or trying to sell, but it does definitely increase the value of what you have to offer. So, you know, wearable tech, this accountability on both sides of the fence, as you're describing, you know, holds the client more accountable. So you get people that are uh, willing to be coached and wanting to be coached. 
and wanting to improve themselves. And it gives you the accountability of knowing that what you're doing, if what you're doing is actually working or not. And so I think that's, you know, keeping both sides of the desk honest. And that's something that's missing in healthcare, right? In terms of, Mm -hmm. you know, there's practitioners that make big claims and they don't have the evidence or data to back those claims up. And there's patients that say they're doing certain things and may not be, and they, or they may be, and they need the data to back that up as well. So that ultimately the two parties can come together and figure out what do we need to do to help you feel your absolute best. You know, I love it. And like you said, at some point, once you've worked with an individual long enough on these numbers, they're trained, they can go fish on their own. And that's something you can never unlearn, which is the beauty of it as well, which is it's something that you will have with you for the rest of your life. You will have an understanding of how to regulate yourself and know what you're doing is working or not. And you're going to get instant feedback to know whether it's working or not. Gone are the days where you have to rely on annual or or semi-annual lab tests to get any feedback on your body. This is a whole new paradigm. And um, I want to thank you for sharing your expertise here. I love the way you've incorporated the coaching, the biofeedback, and then really a holistic way to approach this, both from the spiritual side of things, the uh, emotional side of things, all the way to the uh, objective things that can be changed simple things like toning down the lights at night. So um, this has been a wonderful discussion, Sachin. We've been jamming for like an hour here and we've only covered one metric. So um, we may need to do a to be continued here. But my question for you in closing here is um, the top three metrics for Sachin personally that he lives by. All right. Well, I mean, the three things that come to mind that I think are relevant to all of us, one is HRV. And that's something that we can measure using the Aura Ring or Whoop or whatever device is appropriate for people. The other thing that I really love, or marker, I shouldn't say love, but marker that I would encourage people to pay attention to is fasting insulin, because insulin resistance is a major predictor in, in so many other issues in your body or longevity. And the other one I like is high sensitivity CRP. We want to look at and monitor <coughs> inflammation. So if I had to choose three things, then those would be, you know, three markers that I would pay close attention to. There's several more that I want to say, but we'll leave it at three for now. It's a pretty sweet list. You know, the HRV is instant. It's biofeedback. You can tweak it and uh, you can tune it every day. Fasting insulin, uh, for those who are not aware, absolutely one of the best really warning lights of how someone's managing their, their metabolism, blood sugar basically, deranged blood sugar. And we could do a whole discussion on why that's a better number than HbA1c and other stuff like that. And then uh, the inflammation marker, the generalized inflammation marker. And I'm sure all of those three are highly correlated. And uh, you and I should probably work on an algorithm there that we should put into the system. (laughs) Well, it should be a score, Yeah, honestly, of those three. So um, we'll have to take that one offline. But Anyhow, brother, it's just an honor to work with you and, and have you as a friend and colleague. And uh, we're extremely grateful for your time here, Sachin. Any uh, parting words for those who want to follow up with you and, and get more information on your programs? Well, uh, thanks, A, for providing the stage and the microphone. I appreciate the work that uh, you're all doing at Heads Up Health. It's been revolutionary for our practice, and we continue to adopt you know some of the innovations that you continue to make. And I've got a few introductions, actually, we'll take those offline uh, to make to you because I love what you guys are doing and I really believe in it. 
And we're doing uh, whatever we can to bring this to the forefront because that's where it needs to be. Uh, if people want more information, they can always learn more about our programs. They can go to mymetabolicreset.ca. And the other place that they can go if they're a practitioner and wanting to learn how to upgrade their practice, then they can go to Perfect Practice Mentorship, where we teach practitioners, uh, health coaches, functional medicine practitioners of all kinds, how to run virtual group programs using wearable technology and incorporating simple, scalable, and sustainable solutions. Awesome, man. Thank you, Sachin. It's been a fantastic discussion. And once again, we're, we're grateful for your time, sir. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Data Driven Health Radio. 